0: For tonight. And so I would ask that if you have your Bibles, you would join me in Psalm 43. Psalm 43. Uh, before we get into the passage this evening, I would like to give a, a preface of sorts to this chapter. Uh, there are some Hebrew manuscripts that include chapter 43 as the end of chapter 42. Um, but for our purposes tonight, we're going to consider chapter 43 on its own. By itself uh, because it works fairly well that way and regardless of whether you link it with chapter 42 or keep it separate it's still the inspired Word of God so that won't make any difference but I'd like to begin with a question have you ever had a person or perhaps people who are constantly seemed like they were trying to make your life miserable without a just cause they were seeking to harm your reputation or possibly just to put you down. Maybe that person was a co-worker who persecutes you for your faith. Or that person could even be a, an unsaved family member who just, just doesn't quite understand your relationship with God. And that's where we find the psalmist of Psalm 43 this evening. And as we look at this chapter, we're going to see three main points we will see the powerless psalmist, the petitioning psalmist, and the praising psalmist. So join me in reading Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and please my, plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man, for you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Oh, send your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And on the harp, of, I, and on the harp I will praise you, O oh God, my God. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. The first thing we're going to look at this evening is the powerless psalmist in verses 1 and 2. And the psalmist begins this chapter by crying out to God, vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Oh, deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. The psalmist is apparently being attacked by a person or people for an unjust reason. He is defensive, yet powerless to do anything to defend himself. And the entire nation, or at least what he feels like is the entire nation, is seeking his harm. However, the psalmist realizes that he is not capable of fighting for himself. So what does he do? He calls out to God, Vindicate me. Defend me against my opponent. Justify me in the sight of my adversaries. Plead my cause. Speak on my behalf. And finally, deliver me. Protect me. Free me from the attacks of these evil men. If you've ever seen a courtroom drama like Perry Mason, you may recognize some of this language and these actions. The defendant has been unjustly accused of a crime, but they are unable to prove their own innocence. So what do they do? They call a defense attorney, and that attorney will examine every single piece of evidence, overturn every stone, and then present that evidence in a solid argument that cannot be denied and prove the innocence of the defendant. And that's what the psalmist is asking God to do in this verse. He is asking God to be a lawyer of types and provide and to prove to his opponents that he is without a doubt undeserving of the treatment that he is receiving. As we continue into verse two, begins with the word for. The psalmist is getting ready to explain why he is unable to fend for himself, his reasoning behind seeking help from God and not another. What is this reason? Verse two says, "'For you are the God of my strength.'" The psalmist acknowledged that he was powerless in and of himself. He knew that God is the only source of true strength. God was the only one in whom the psalmist's strength was found, both his physical strength, his mental strength, and his spiritual strength. Oftentimes, I think our knee-jerk reaction is to try and get defensive and to defend ourselves, to try and prove our point on our own. That's not what God wants. God wants believers to run to him immediately when we need relief from outside attacks. Yet even while the psalmist is calling out to God, the psalmist feels alone and abandoned. Look at the rest of verse 2 with me, would you? He says, Why do you cast me off? And why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? The psalmist is confused. Where are you, God? Here I am, suffering, begging for help, but I haven't had any yet. Why does it feel as though you have left me? Why is the oppression so severe that I am constantly <clears throat> mourning? The psalmist is asking the age-old question, why do the righteous suffer? And the fact is that the cause of suffering Is often hard if not impossible to see during the trial. Am I suffering because of sin in my life? Is this to strengthen my faith? Have I gotten distracted and need to have my gaze brought back to God? The answers to these questions may not be clear until sometime in the far future. They may never be clear. But one thing never changes despite our circumstances and that is that God is our strength. God is in control and God will sustain us through hardships and persecution. So we've seen this, the powerless psalmist in verses 1 and 2 and now in verse 3 we see the petitioning psalmist and all throughout this psalm are the markings of how desperate the psalmist is. As he calls out to God, he expresses the heaviness of his dilemma with the expression, oh, oh, deliver me, he calls. As he continues to cry out, he uses the word, oh, yet again. Oh, send out your light and your truth. Grief and longing in his voice are visible as he groans Within himself, After he expresses his grief with that one little word, he continues in verse 3. He says, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. The psalmist is asking God to bring him back to Jerusalem, specifically to the tabernacle the place where God's presence is physically manifested to men. But notice how the psalmist asks to be led to Jerusalem. He asks specifically for God's light and God's truth. He is asking that God would make the way clear, that God's light and truth would illuminate the path and to make obvious the false path. Essentially, he is asking for God's faithfulness to guide him. However, in looking at this passage, I believe there's another reason that the psalmist specifically asks for light and truth. And I believe he's making a contrast with something previously stated in verse 1, where he describes the men that he needs deliverance from as deceitful and unjust. Throughout the Bible, and even several times in the Psalms, light is used as a metaphor for God's word or God's law, or how God's word can act in our lives. One example of this in the Psalms would be Psalm 119, 105, where he says your word, literally God's law, because that was... God's word that he had given to them as of this point. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The psalmist is contrasting the light of God's law and his justice to the injustice of his accusers. He is also contrasting the tr- God's truth with the deceitfulness of his attackers. And as we continue into verse 4. Again, we see uh, a word linking his request to a specific reason why he is making this request. Verse 4, he begins with the word, Then. The psalmist is about to give a reason for why he should be brought to Jerusalem. He says, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. The psalmist wants to go to the tabernacle to worship God. So then, after he has been brought to the tabernacle, he will go to the altar so that he can offer sacrifices and praise to God. But notice how the psalmist describes God in this verse. He describes God as his exceeding joy. The psalmist found joy in God. But this wasn't just any joy. This wasn't just casual happiness. This was exceeding, overflowing, abundant joy. And then verse 5 ends with a praising psalmist. Their psalmist has gone from the powerless psalmist to the petitioning psalmist to the praising psalmist. And the last verse of this psalm begins with two questions and then gives an answer for them. He says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. This verse is exactly identical to the verse at the end of chapter 42. And in this verse, he asks two questions. The first question is, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why am I despairing and depressed? Secondly, he asks himself, why are you disquieted within me? Why am I worried and uneasy? Really, he is asking, what reason do I have to be afraid? What reason do I have to be uneasy, to be disturbed? What is his response? What does he tell his disquieted soul to do? He says, hope in God. God is the God of my strength. God is my exceeding joy. I do not have a reason to be discouraged. It is God who will justify me. It is God who speaks for me. It is God who will deliver me. And it is God who will lead me. Continuing in verse 5, he says, For I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Why does he put his hope in God and nothing else? Because he shall yet praise him. His immediate response to trying circumstances was hoping in God, because he was constantly praising God. God was the first thought in the psalmist's mind, because God was always on his mind. Notice that word, yet. I will yet praise him. In this context, a synonym for that word would be still. I I shall still praise God. Yet implies that even through the persecution, even through the unjust accusations, the psalmist never stopped praising God. The psalmist had a very close relationship with God. Look at all the ways he describes his relationship with him. He says, You are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? God, my exceeding joy. I will praise you, O God, my God. I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. All throughout this passage, the psalmist is stressing his close relationship with God. And that's because a close, healthy relationship with God is what allows the believer to weather the storm, to make it through the trials. And so I would ask you this evening, what are you going through right now? Persecution, unjust accusations, Maybe your trial isn't even related directly to people, as the psalmist was. It could be that your trial is an unexplainable hardship. Whatever it might be, this next question applies to everyone. Where do you go for relief? No matter what the thing might be, if it's not God, then it's the wrong thing. Only God can bring the joy and the hope and the peace that we desire. And perhaps you're not facing a trial this evening. Perhaps life's been easy and you've been blessed tremendously by God. How's your relationship with God? Are you actively pursuing a strong walk with God? Or do these words from the song, Lord, I Need You, describe you best? Sometimes when life seems gentle and blessings flood my way, I turn my eyes away from you, and soon forget to pray. But when the sky grows darker, and courage turns to fear, my anxious heart turns upward with words you long to hear. Lord, I need you. If we want to have strength in our trials, the present trials, or the future trials, we need to have a strong relationship with God because trust is built on relationships. And so without that relationship, we have no basis for trusting God to bring us through the trials that we face. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this message from your word this evening. I thank you that you have given us examples of people in the Psalms who are facing real problems, just like we are. And I thank you that you've given us examples of men who, even though they didn't understand what was happening, even though they didn't, uh, in human terms, deserve what they were suffering, they still trusted you. They still believed that you had a plan and that you could uh, see them through the troubles that they were facing. I pray that uh, you would help us to have a good strong relationship with you so that we can be uh, ready for when trials come and that we can get through them and in the end we'll be stronger than we were before. I pray that uh, you would bless our business meeting that we're about to have this evening. I pray that it would be productive and that we'd be able to accomplish a lot of things